Good morning. How many shopping days till Christmas is it? Is anybody starting to feel that a little bit? The weather's changing slightly, yeah. But uh, we're going to hang on to summer as hard as we can, amen? That's why it's so cold in here, just to remind you that winter's coming. So good morning, class. Welcome to Summer School, a Summer School of Faith. And this morning, we're looking at the faith and the life of men by the name of Joshua. Now, Joshua was born in around 1355 B.C., and he lived for 110 years. And he's best known as the one who fought the battle of Jericho. So most of you know. How many remember the old song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? I'm going to sing it for you now. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. No, I won't do that to you. Um, I'm going to tell you, it's, a, it's an exciting story. In fact, the Bible is full of really exciting stories. This is so exciting that they actually made a movie about it with Lego. And uh, yeah, these, these stories are really quite exciting. So there's the Lego story of Jericho. And um, actually, I checked it on the, uh, on the website IMDB, the movie database, and it gets 7.8 out of 10. And so I, this must be a good one. So if you want, uh, copies are available at the end of the service. No, they're not. But you can, you can order them if you like. Now, it's tempting to think of these stories of Joshua and you know, Moses and, and Joseph as just great stories. But what we need to understand is that these stories are given to us, handed down to us, not just to uh, give us something to think about or to talk about, not just to pique our interest, but there's lessons, important lessons for us to learn. So as we go through the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 11, we're looking at these great men and women of faith, and we want to learn from them. We want to, want to discover what is it that God wants us to take away from this. The writer of Hebrews wants to inspire us in our Christian life. He wants to inspire us in our walk with God. And, and he points to all these godly men and women saying, look at these people, how they lived, and this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. And so every generation, in every generation, we teach these stories, we teach them in Sunday school, and once in a while, we need to even hear about them here in the main service. Because these stories are so inspiring, if you go to the Vatican, you'll find these magnificent sculptures and paintings. This is actually a cartoon. It's called a cartoon. It's not a cartoon as we understand a cartoon, but it's the cartoon that was used to create a mosaic at St. Peter's Basilica. And this, of course, is Joshua fighting a battle. This time it's not the Battle of Jericho. It's another battle where, how many remember he tells the sun to stand still? Anybody remember that? Yeah. If you don't remember it, then you actually need to read your Bible and find that out for yourself. But uh, we don't got time to get into everything related to Joshua's life. There's a few things we're going to quickly touch on. But I want to focus in on, on what made Joshua a great man, particularly a great man of faith. So... We begin with Moses mentoring a young man because Moses knows he's not going to live forever. He knows that he's going to have to, at some point, hand the leadership of Israel over to somebody. He's going to have to transfer leadership. So eventually, it's upon Joshua's shoulders that Moses places his leadership mantle. And it's not just God who has chosen, or not just Moses who's chosen. Joshua, it's God who's done that. God looks at Joshua as a great man. And so we find in Exodus chapter 24 
that God calls Moses, and a lot of people don't know this, he calls Moses and he calls Joshua to ascend the mountain to receive instructions for the making of the tabernacle, for the uh, uh, creation of the, the priestly garments, for the consecration of the priests, and also for the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't believe Joshua was right there, right beside Moses at the giving of the Ten Commandments, but he was up there somewhere. So we recognize that God wanted Joshua to be at Moses' side, to catch the anointing, to catch the presence of God, to learn something from Moses about what it means to walk with God. God picked Moses. God also picked Joshua. And it's important to understand that. What God wanted to do in Moses' life, he also wanted to do in Joshua's life. And I want to say this to you this morning. What God wanted to do in Moses' life and in Joshua's life, he also wants to do in your life. That's why we are pointed to these great men and women of faith. So the first thing I want you to see is that Joshua was tested before he ever came into his position of leadership of of Israel. Testing is a critical part of our Christian life. Every one of us is going to experience testing. And this is what it says in Proverbs 17, verse 3. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And so you may not know this and maybe never ever thought of it before, but here's what you need to know today is that you are constantly being tested in your spiritual life. It's this testing that purifies you. It's this testing that makes you strong. It's this testing that prepares you to face life, for you to grow and grow strong. Every one of us is going to be tested. Let me me illustrate this. Um, Jesus, when he was preaching and teaching, he he had crowds surrounding him all the time. And one day he looked out upon the crowd. It was Passover uh, coming up. And he's got over uh, 5,000 people following him. In fact, they counted 5,000 men. That was just the men. But there was, there was women and children there. So, I mean, it potentially could have been 10,000 people. But uh, an awful lot of people. And here they are in the middle of nowhere. There's no A&W. There's no McDonald's around. There's, uh, there, there's, there's, just, there's nobody selling hot dogs. There's no vendors. There's, just, there's nothing. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, hey, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip's, pardon? Where are we going to find food to feed all these people, Lord? Are you kidding me? Now, remember, Philip has seen Jesus in action. He's seen Jesus heal the lame man. He's seen the miracles. He's seen all kinds of fabulous, amazing things, things that have never been seen before. What's Jesus doing asking Philip for advice? Or was he asking Philip for advice? And somebody just said the word, you, you, you anticipated me. But the Bible says that Jesus was testing Philip. For he already knew what he was going to do. How many know that Jesus doesn't need us to tell him what to do? How many know that God is not sort of waiting in heaven for you to to give him instructions? God's not sort of sitting up in heaven, chewing his nails and wondering, oh no, how are we going to solve this problem? I sure hope Alan prays today to tell me what to do. But that's not how it works. God knows what he's going to do. God knows what needs to be done. Now here's the thing. God wants to use you for his purposes. God 
wants to teach you. So Jesus is testing Philip. Would Philip throw up his hands in defeat and say, this is an impossible situation, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is craziness, I've never, never seen anything so ridiculous, never. he could have got a bad attitude, um, he could have been confused and overcome with fear. I mean, what happens when these 10,000 people get hungry? Is there going to be a stampede? What's going to happen? Or would he see that Jesus is the one who's able to meet the needs of everybody there? Now, let the Spirit of God speak to you right now, because you may be going through a time of testing right now in your life, and you don't even recognize that, in fact, you are being tested. What you need to understand is that God has not abandoned you. He's not, he's not failing you. He has not left you behind. He is with you. He's at your side right now. But what you may be going through right now is just a time of testing to see where your heart is, to see whether or not you truly trust the Lord, whether you truly have put your faith in him. Now let's get back to, to Joshua. So we understand that God wants us to learn to trust him as the one who is able to help us through every impossible situation. I wonder how many of us today are going through an impossible situation. Here's what you need to know about the God of Scripture. God loves the impossible. Did you hear that? God loves the impossible, and I'm going to tell you, he is the God of the impossible. What seems hopeless and impossible with you is absolutely possible with God. And folks, that's really what faith is all about. It's the belief, the trust in God who is able to even solve the problem of 5,000 people with nothing to eat. He's the one that's able to solve the problem that you might have in your marriage or the problem you might have in your family or at your, at your workplace. He is able. Would you say that to the person beside you? God is able. What would they say? Are they in favor? Did they say amen? Let's, let's try it one more time. Tell the person on the other side, God is able. Amen. Amen. So we're all in favor of this. We're all in agreement. God is able. God's able to help you through whatever you're going through. Okay, so let's get back to, to, to Joshua for a minute. After Israel left uh, Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, the first thing they discover in, the, in this wilderness is that the people on the other side of the Red Sea didn't want them there. Pharaoh wanted them to come back to live in Egypt, and the people on the other side of the Red Sea, they didn't want Israel there. So what happens is Moses commissions Joshua to be the commander of a militia. And the wonderful thing is this. Um, Joshua was not a, a trained general. He was not a trained militiaman. He was not, he, this is not his area of training. He was a slave in Egypt. And Moses says... Joshua, I'd like you to be the general. Now, can you imagine Joshua saying, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever that is. I'll, I, yeah, I'll do, I'll do whatever you say, Moses. Yeah. But he does. He says, okay, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going I'm to show up for service. I have no idea what to do, but I'm, I, I know the enemy's over there, and we're over here, and we need to somehow go against them. So he seeks the face of God. He doesn't back off, and he goes into his very first battle. And the wonderful thing is that he is victorious in battle. Now listen, Joshua is not an arrogant or proud man. He doesn't come back and say, did you see what I just did, people? This is amazing. 
He understands that God showed up on that battlefield. He understands that God helped him through. As we find Joshua's first test, go into battle, lead the charge, and we see that he passes the test. And then Joshua's tested again. Israel comes to the promised land, and some of you now, this is where you know the story really well. He comes to the promised land, and Moses appoints 12 spies. And of those 12 spies is Joshua, and another one by the name of Caleb, and frankly, I can't remember the names of the others. There's a reason why I remember Joshua and Caleb. They go into the promised land, and while they're there, they're scouting it out. Remember, the promised land is the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. All the descendants are looking forward to going into the promised land, and here they are now right on the borders. They're looking over, and they're seeing the land that God has promised to them. And everybody's excited about this. This is fantastic. Yahoo. Can hardly wait to get in there. Our own land. We were in a land that was not our own. We were in a foreign land where we were abused, mistreated. We were slaves. But now we're going into our own, our very own land. And there's singing. There's rejoicing. There's, there's a, just a real party spirit. Everybody's thrilled. Everybody's happy. Everybody's singing. Everybody's rejoicing. The 12 spies, they put on their knapsacks, take their staff, and away they go. And they... They worked themselves into the promised land, hiding from the people, trying not to be conspicuous. But while they're there, they recognize this land is full of big people. They're tall. They're, they're giants. And, and they're strong. They're powerful. And they're quite sophisticated. And these spies are thinking, oh man, whoa, 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 whoa. We're gonna come into this we're gonna come into this promised land. We are going to come against these giants. It's a beautiful land. The grapes are so massive, it takes two of us to carry a, a, a cluster. I mean, it's land flowing with milk and honey. This is an amazing place, but there's no way we could, there's no way we could come here. So the spies, they make their way back, back home. They hear there's frivolity and rejoicing and happiness in the camp. And they're thinking, oh man, we, oh man this is going to be a downer for these poor guys. They arrive home and they say to Moses, or yeah, they say to Moses, there's no way that we are going to get into this land. There's just no way this is going to happen. These, we look like locusts in their eyes and they look like giants in our eyes. I mean, look at the, I mean, it's a beautiful land. Look at the grapes. Look at the milk and honey. It's just fantastic. It's a lovely land. But I can tell you that if we try to go into that land, we are going to be slaughtered. And these spies, at least some of them, they start passing the word around. There's just no hope. We've come. We've, you know, we're between a rock and a hard place. If we go back, we end up in Egypt, where Pharaoh will probably kill us. If we go in there, we're going to be dead. And the people now have gone Instantly, from party spirit now to depression. They're so upset. They're so angry. They're angry at Moses, angry at God, angry at the spies, angry at whoever and whatever. By the way, does this sound like you ever? Oh, God, this is hopeless. This is a hopeless situation. This is an impossible situation. God, how could you allow this? How could, how could this happen to me? How could I get here? How could this? I can't believe that I'm in this position. 
God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought we were, I was your chosen one. I thought I was, when I became a Christian, I wouldn't be facing this kind of stuff anymore. You see, this is why you have to understand that the Christian life is a series of tests that you have to pass. And so rather than trusting the God who has sent all these plagues and spared Israel, who spared the firstborn, who brought them through the Red Sea, who brought them through the wilderness, who's feeding them, they don't trust God. Except Joshua and Caleb. Joshua passed the second test. And he says, well, hold on a minute here. We can do this thing. Consider what God has done in the past. Listen, people, let God's spirit speak to you right now. Think of what God has done for you in the past. The people of Israel, all they had to do was stop and think for a moment what God had done for them in the past. And they would have passed this test as well. But they didn't. And God is furious. So that's it. Nobody is going into the promised land now. You are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Except Joshua and Caleb. Joshua passed his test. Joshua demonstrated that he was a man who was capable of leading Israel. He was a man that God could trust to do his work. Can I ask you a question today? Can God trust you to do his work? To do the work that only you can do? Remember we said before, the, Paul says to the Ephesians that we are masterpieces created before we were even born to do good works, special tasks that he had assigned for us. Israel roamed in the wilderness for 40 years. And now it's time for Israel, once again, to enter into the promised land. Remember, nobody, nobody of that generation was going to be allowed to be in. And God said, after they're all dead, then you'll be able to enter the promised land. Remember one guy in Bible school saying, could you imagine if you were like the second or the third last person of that generation? Everybody's just sort of sitting there waiting for you to die, <laughs> to drop dead. Huh. It's like, would you die already so we can go to the promised land? I don't know if that really happened. But here they are, 40 years later, everybody's, that generation's dead. There's a new generation. And now it's time. Moses has died, and the mantle has been shifted over to Joshua. It's Joshua's job now to lead Israel into the promised land. Now, can you imagine for a moment? I don't know about you, but me, I'd be so nervous. Can you imagine, here's Joshua, he's been under the leadership of Moses, the great man of God, the greatest in the Jewish uh, tradition, in the Jewish faith, Moses is the greatest, the great prophet, the, our teacher, nobody like Moses. And now he's gone. Moses was the one that he contended with Pharaoh. He was the one that brought the, the plagues on Egypt. He's the one that brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness for 40 years. He's the one that God used to, to bring manna to the people. Moses was able to feed over two, two and a half million people. And now it's on Joshua's shoulders. And can't you imagine the day when all of a sudden it, it just dawns on Joshua Moses is gone, 
And I'm the one now responsible for over two and a half million, maybe three million people. Oh God, what have I got myself into? Have you ever felt like that? Oh Lord, maybe you're not responsible for two and a half million people, but what you're doing right now is, seems just as nerve wracking. Now can I just say this to you right now? It's okay to be nervous. That's not a sin, that's not a sign of a lack of faith. It just means that you're smart enough to know that the thing that you gotta do is bigger than you. When I get up to preach on Sunday, I feel, I feel a nervousness in my stomach. Why? Because I know that this is, this is too big for Alan Duncan just to come up here and parade his ignorance. I need the power and the spirit of God to work in me. As a father, I feel the same thing. As a husband, I feel the same thing. I want to be the best that I can be. I don't want to fail my family. I don't want to fail my wife. I don't want to fail my kids. I don't want to fail my church, my staff, my congregation. I don't want to fail Burundi. Tell you, when I go over to Burundi, I got real turning in my gut. Oh, God, don't let, don't let us fail them. It's okay to be nervous. It's a sign that you don't trust yourself, that you really do trust God. But here's the neat thing, folks, about Joshua. He's been tested and tested and tested, and he keeps passing the test. And God's saying, Joshua, you're ready to do this thing. Joshua's, I'm not ready to do it, but because God says I'm ready to do it, I'm ready to do it. Let's do it. So God tells Joshua what to do. Now, remember the first test when they were about to enter the promised land? Send out how many spies? Twelve spies, and Joshua says, Okay, people, we need 12 spies. Now, everybody, don't you know, instantly remembers the last time something this happens. And everybody's telling the spies before they leave the camp, whatever you do, I don't care what you see, I don't care how bad it is, when you get back here, tell us how wonderful it is. Right? <laughs> Just tell us how wonderful it is. Don't tell us how bad it is, how scary it is, because we don't want to wander anymore. We want into our promised land. Someone say hallelujah. Yeah. So the spies go in, and you're going you're gonna to hear more about this next week. Um, you're going to hear about Rahab next week. One of the people in the city that helped them. But let's get back to, to Joshua. So Israel crosses the Jordan River. And you think, well, let's get down to business. Let's do this thing. They've crossed the river. Time is of the essence. We don't want to waste another minute. You know, we've, we've got to strike while the metal's hot. And we've got to use the, you know, the, the strategies of generals. We, we sneak up on them and we catch them before they know what's even going on. But Joshua says, no, here's what we're going to do. When we cross the river, we get to the other side. You know, when we get to the place where we'll actually be vulnerable, where our enemies can get us, when we get to the other side of the river, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little prayer meeting. We're going to spend some time with God. We're going to spend time crying out to the Lord. We're going to ask God to bless us, and we're going to recommit our lives to God. Uh, we are going to, we're going to pray. We're going to have a time of consecration, a time of thanksgiving. We're going to actually set up a monument I think Joshua is brilliant because what he's doing is he gets to the other side. He gets into the promised land. 
And rather than relying on the arm of strength or the the brilliance of his generals, rather than relying upon himself, he says, people, before we make another move, we're going to make it clear to God and to each other that we rely on God and on nothing and no one else. And so they have a prayer meeting. Now, can't you just imagine some of those Israelites? Can, can, Can I... Can I just start? I'm going to be in the middle of the camp. I don't know if I really want to be on the, on the outskirts of the camp. I want to move to the middle. And here he is, the first active leader in the promised land of a prayer meeting. You see, Joshua had this incredible relationship with God, as you're going to see in just a moment. And he understood that the power of God is unleashed in the life of the believer when he meets with God first. When they worship God first. The Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. The prayer meeting's over. God says, here's what you need to do. And the writer of Hebrews tells us how it is possible, how this preposterous thing could happen, how these people who really have almost no weapons They've just been roaming around in the wilderness for 40 years. They're, they're, they're farmers and herders and shepherds, and, and now they're going to take the city of Ai, the walled city of Ai, of Jericho, pardon me. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Read it with me. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Can, can I just say this to you right now? Whatever difficult circumstance you find yourself in right now, whatever struggle you've got in your life right now, you're worrying about your future. What am I going to do in the days to come? What's my life going to look like? Who am I going to marry? What's my career going to be? And how is that going to all unfold? Listen, we face the future. We face what's ahead by faith. We don't, we don't really know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. So it was by faith that people of Israel marched around Jericho. And so here it is. God says, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Now, can you imagine the people in the city? They're thinking, what are these lunatics doing? Every day the people come out. Let's march around the city. March around the city once twice every day for six days. And the people are thinking, oh, maybe nothing's going to happen. Maybe they're just lunatics. (laughs) This too shall pass. They're looking down on these people. They've They've got their weapons. They've got their armor on. They're ready to do battle. But these people are just nuts, right? Marching around. God says to Joshua, you and your fighting men should just march around the town once a day for six days. And then God says, Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. And some of you remember the Ark of the Covenants. This is the ark that holds the the precious holy artifacts. And each of the priests is to carry a ram's horn. And then God says, on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times. So it's once a day for six days, but on the seventh day, you are going to march around for seven days. And so some of the people are thinking, like, okay, are we going to make these people dizzy, and that's how we're going to conquer this city? 
just can march around and get them to follow us. And so they march, oh, that made me dizzy. They march around seven times and the priests then blow the horn. And the Bible says, when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And the Bible says that the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. And the rest is history. It's exactly what happened. Now, if you look at this, folks, I can tell you, you're not going to find this strategy in any of the military strategist handbooks. The United States military didn't say, you know, we should try this sometime. <laughs> I mean, Trudeau might try this, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find this anywhere. And I'll tell you why. And here's, here's, a, here's a mistake that so many of us make, is we think, you know, God does the same thing every time, all the time. How many know that that's not the way God works? And I'll tell you why God doesn't work that way. Because God wants us to learn what it mean, means to live by faith, to keep finding out what he wants. You'll notice that God never allows us to fall into a pattern where we just become mechanical. God wants us to hear from him fresh every day. How many know about the little bank on the corner here? Remember that bank? And, you know, we, when, the, when it came up for sale, we... Uh, you know, how many know that when we got this bank, it was Safeway, or got this building, Safeway gave us a massive donation. And so some of the guys on the board who are not even in this church anymore, they, they, they did not want to give the bank what they were asking for. When I went into prayer, I knew that we needed to give them the money that they were asking for. But some of the board members, no, this is the way it happened last time. That's the way we got to do it again. And I said, no, that's, that is not what God's showing me. And besides of which... We need to hear from God on this. We don't just mechanically do things the same way every time. So long story short, we lost the building. We didn't get it. And that was, by the way, the beginning of the end of the old Constitution. Because we can't function this way. We can't function mechanically. We can't function according to man's wisdom. By the way, you know how much they were asking for that building? $200,000. I mean, you can't buy a house for that. Uh, and there it was. We have to understand something. We need to hear from God. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to learn that whatever we do, it's by faith, that we've heard the voice of God, and we are now doing what God says. What is faith? Believe God and do what he says. We'd say it with me again, Believe God and do what he says. And so that's, what, that's exactly what Joshua does. By the way, the next battle is not like this one. And the battle after that is not like that one. But there is a common denominator. It, every battle that's ever fought in Scripture, and that is that somebody is hearing from God and saying, God, what is your will? What do you want us to do? The walls collapse and the people go rushing and they take over the city. Now, where does Joshua get this kind of courage? This is really unusual courage. This is a courage that, that goes beyond natural ability. Well, I'll tell you, Joshua was in the habit 
of meeting with God on a regular basis. This is why we teach you. When we're, when we're discipling you, we're teaching you how to follow Jesus. The very first thing that you and I need to learn how to do is have a daily walk with God. Folks, this is old. This is old wisdom. This goes back, this goes back to the beginning of time. Jesus walked with the Father. He met with God. He prayed. He studied, and, 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 and he heard the voice of God. And so did Joshua. Before Joshua was ever leading the people of God, he learned what it meant to, to dwell in the presence of Almighty God. He learned what it means to run to God for help and strength. Can I ask you, who do you run to for help and strength? You run to your mother, your father, your, you know, your bank? <laughs> or your best friend, your boss? Joshua was in the habit of running to God. In fact, look at this. This is a very interesting verse from Exodus 33. It says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, and Moses would take Joshua with him whenever he went to pray. It's like going to church. And God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Moses then would return to the camp, but look at this. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, would remain, remain behind in the tent of meeting. I remember when I first read that, that just, that just jumped off the page and grabbed me by the throat. As a young man, I quickly recognized that this is where the power is, the power of God, the power in your faith. It's learning what it means to meet with God, to learn what it means to hear the voice of God, to be directed and led by God. So here's Joshua learning how to meet with God way before he ever takes on the big responsibility of leading Israel. Can I ask you a question? Are you going to be ready for the big tasks that are ahead for you? Are you going to be able to face the big storm that's ahead of you? Are you going to be able to do that great thing that God wants you to do in the days or the years ahead? If you don't learn now how to meet with God to hear his voice and get strengthened by him, then you're going to have a hard time in the days ahead. How are you going to face marriage? And when you have your first fight, how are you going to overcome that fight? How are you going to be able to face the difficulties that we sometimes have with our children? How are you going to be able to face your boss and when you have problems and, and there's infighting at work? I'm going to tell you, this is how you do it. You never cut back on your time alone with God, that meeting place. Joshua remained behind. He hungered. He's, I'm not, we'll see you later, Moses. I'm staying here with God. I've got to meet with him. And we talk about the story of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. What a lot of people do is they sort of just skip ahead to Joshua chapter 6. What they don't do is they don't see Joshua chapter 1, the very first verses of that chapter. Remember, Joshua is in the habit of meeting with God of hearing God's voice. So the very first thing that Joshua does after Moses dies, as the mantle is placed on his shoulders, he goes to that familiar place, that place of prayer. Can I just point something out to you right now? For some of us, the place of prayer is not a familiar place. We don't, when we get to place of prayer, I don't know what to do, can't pray. You're like a deer in the headlights. I don't know what to say. God bless auntie and uncle, mommy and daddy, and I don't know what to pray. 
What we need to do is we need to learn how to cultivate a relationship with God whereby we're not just talking to him, we know how to listen to him. So Joshua gets before the face of God, and here's what God says to, to Moses. I love this. Or it says, yeah, it says to Moses and then to, to, to Joshua. He, God says, I promised you what I promised to Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given to you. This is what God's telling Joshua. Now, can you just imagine Joshua's feeling nervous, a little bit shaky, can't hold his hands straight. God's now speaking to him, and he's feeling strengthened, and the nervousness is starting to subside a little bit, and the shakiness is going away, and the Spirit of God is beginning to fill him to overflowing with, with a confidence. And God says, wherever you set your foot, you're going to be on land that I've given you. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. The Spirit of God say not to you today, folks. The problem is, is you won't go to that quiet place to pray to hear those words. And the Spirit of God's calling you to go to that quiet place to hear the voice of the Lord. And God concludes his discussion with Joshua, and he says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Notice God didn't say, don't be nervous. He says, don't be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Can I tell you that this morning? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the promise that Jesus gave his disciples before he left this planet. He said, I'm sending you somebody. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. He's going to be with you wherever you go. You're not facing this life in your own energy, your own wisdom, your own strength by your own wits, your own skills. And some of you are saying, Pastor, that's good because I don't have any wits. <laughs> Pastor, I'm a half-wit. <laughs> and God says, that's okay because God's got all the wits that you need. What's God calling you to do today? Folks, this is why it's so critical that you and I pass these tests. And the big test for Joshua was this. Would he try to do this in his own strength or would he try to do this or would he do this in the power of God? He learned early what it was to trust God. Folks, you cannot have faith. You cannot believe God and do what he says if you have not yet been strengthened in God's presence. How many of us pray these kinds of prayers? Oh, God, I'm in trouble. Help me. Help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I better pray, call the pastor. I better call 700 Club. I better call 100 Huntley's Church. I'll call everybody that I know that, know that can pray. Guess what? You can pray. You don't have to call the experts. You don't have to call Pastor Allen. You can if you want. I'm glad to pray for you. But I'm going to tell you, you can pray. It's good to have others praying along. But it's a problem when other people pray instead of you. You're the one that needs to learn what it means to hear from God. Would you stand with me, please?
God, we need your grace and strength to face this life, especially, Lord, to serve you in these days when the world is so hostile to you, to your church. Our faith is about to be tested like it's never been tested for hundreds of years. And God, if we haven't learned what it means to, to hide in your presence, praying and communing with you, then we're never going to make it. I pray, God, that you would speak to young couples right now, that they would understand how critical it is that they are in the habit of meeting with you and hearing your voice. And for parents, especially parents with young children, that they would understand how critical it is that they pass this on to their children, what it means to meet with God and to hear the voice of God. I thank you, God, that you speak to Alan Duncap. You speak to me every day when I come into your presence. Every day you've got a word for me. I thank you, God, for what you spoke to my heart yesterday in my devotions. God, I believe today there's, there's a great work that you want to do in the hearts and the lives of your people here. But we need to learn what it means to be like Joshua, who before he faced any Jericho, he was hiding in a tent, meeting with God. Give us the grace and the wisdom and the strength to apply what we've heard today that we would be people of faith, passing all the tests and being used by you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, God wants to use you, so pass the tests. <laughs>